Welcome to Chick Funk You and Cafe Night. I think Jim might not be able to make it. Jim, do it. You want me to do it? No. Hey, Cammy. So, I'm a missionary myself here. Are you? Yes. No, he's not. From Canada. So, I've been international now for a while. And one real part in which I connected with you was I really wanted to go to England. Yes, that's I was just wondering. But my English wasn't that good, so they sent me they sent me to America. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should come to Georgia. I swear. <laughs> I love Georgia. I love Georgia. I love it. But he went back to Canada and passed all his proficiency exams. <laughs> so, um, okay. Now, welcome to Chick-fil-A Q and Cafe night. Um, a night we started a long time ago just as boring old Q&A night. Uh, as, as an opportunity, basically, we realized as, as our school year went on that questions would come up based on sometimes the stuff we were teaching, uh, based on just stuff that's happening in your life or whatever, that we didn't have a chance to get to answer. You guys okay? You guys okay. Um, so we want to we wanted to set this time aside to be able to do those things. Um, we have special guests tonight. Scott Irwin, not special. Um, sorry. Uh, I'm, Am I a guest? So not a guest, not special. Okay. And then we have two. Uh, we have Jim Johnson, who's the uh, lead minister at Sunnybrook Christian Church. And then we also have Morgan Weiss, who does high school and junior high ministry at Sunnybrook, and she teaches here from time to time. Actually, both of these guys teach here from time to time. So, uh, and my name is Drew, uh, not a guest, but special. So, <laughs> we, uh, I've been saying that for a very long time. <laughs> so, uh, here's what we do. We, we, most, a lot of you know, we posted questions on Facebook for you to kind of vote on, and so the ones that kind of came to the top are the ones that we want to address. And then as questions come up, if you've got some, we're not going to be able to get to everything, but uh, later on we'll give you a chance to ask those. You can either just old-fashioned raise your hand, or if you want to, you can text uh, questions to that number there, and we will try to get to whatever we can. So here's our very first question for the night. Maybe. Can you see it? Yes. There it is. All right. And this was this was by far. This is one that we hear the most. That we recently we have heard the most of. And and this is the one that was voted highest, which means um, somebody in here is sending a lot because everybody's trying to figure out how to confront you right now. Um, they want to know. So um, so this this idea. How do I confront a friend who's living in sin? And uh, we asked Morgan actually to take that for us. So Morgan, go ahead. So, before I say this, I was just going to say something that I was noticing as I was going through these questions. Drew posted them, and then I went, I didn't know that he had posted them to the table page, and I went and asked, and Scott was showing me them, and I was looking through and looking at scripture to figure out kind of, you know, to prepare. And I was thinking, that's like the thing they all have in common. Um, we talk about this on staff, we repeatedly say uh, this line that we stole from some other preacher, um, but that is true, which is... Uh, we desire to wean people off of our wit and wisdom and onto the word and people and spirit of God. That's what we desire. And it's interesting because every one of these, every one of these questions, I think, could have a component or the answer is, well, let's look at these scriptures. So um, if you are a Christian, 
and you are saying the word of God is authoritative over my life, then the answers for these questions are found there. That's where they're found. And so what we hope to do tonight is answer questions for you um, and to more than that, to give you scripture to go back and to read and to study um, for yourself um, and in community. Um, and we'd even study it alongside you if you want. So um, that, but that's our desire. So if nothing else, I hope that when you leave here, you have more of a hunger to search the scriptures for the answers. Um, so with that first one, that's how I would start. Um, how do I confront a friend who is living in sin? Well, I think the first question you have, to, you have to boil down is, is that friend someone who is a professed follower of Jesus? Um, someone who is saying, yes, I am submitting my life under, under the scriptures. And if they are, then that's where you would go to confront sin, is you would go to the word. So you, how I would do that, like practically, um, because I, I have found that it, that it kind of works a little better, just this approach sometimes. I don't know if it's because I, I deal primarily with women or what, but this seems to work for me, is that I usually confront sin by saying, hey, um, first of all, this is where you're Christian, yes. Yes, of course, Morgan, I'm Christian. Okay, and this is where we're living, yes, and this is what we understand, yes, to be true. Okay, so here's some things that I'm seeing that don't line up with what this book says. Can you help me understand how you got there? Can we start figuring out what it looks like to turn from these things, to repent of these things? Do you feel convicted about this? Those are some of the questions I ask, but I start with the truth. And then like Jim says, a lot of times is let the truth be the problem. Um, So I would challenge you to always use scripture. That's what I would challenge. Um, The next thing, the other thing I would challenge you to do is examine yourself. Um, I think it's always really important to do that. Sometimes what I see people do when they confront sins uh, in, their, in their friends' lives is they do it with a finger-pointing or self-righteous attitude. Um, in the sense, they say the right things, but they say it in the wrong way. So I, I was just telling one of our high school students this the other day. I just said, hey, bud, I just want you to know one of the things I'm most proud of you right now is that you have always been Um, growing up, and I've seen you in in our youth ministry, I've just seen you love the truth, the Word of God. I've seen you love the things of God. I've seen you be very obedient to the Word, but I have seen you mature this last year in the fruits of the Spirit and the way that that those things play out in your life, in your interactions with others. And so I would challenge you to do the same. I challenge you to examine your own life, and then I would challenge you to think through how how Galatians 5 would play out. uh, another biblical way to handle sinful situations that talks about is Matthew 18, um, Galatians 6, and Luke 17 all kind of address this particular issue. Um, so Matthew 18, I'm just going to try to remember. Matthew 18 is where it talks about um, if someone has, a brother has sinned against you, right? Is that right? I want to make sure I remember. If a brother has sinned against you. If a brother has sinned against you, you go and you confront that. Um, if, the, if the issue cannot be resolved, if repentance does not occur, if, if this cannot be something that is mended and overcome, then you take another with you. Um, and then if that, if two is not, is not kind of do the trick, then you um, give that to a greater group of people, from what I understand. That right? Mm-hmm. I double check everything. Can you tell? Yeah, they do the same thing. They go, Morgan, off of our wit and wisdom. Go back to the word. <laughs> but um, so um, that's that's one Matthew eighteen. 
Galatians uh, 6, 1. I should have marked these. Sorry. Hang on. Six one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too um, be tempted. So it's again kind of going with what I was saying. That's where I got that idea. And then Luke seventeen one says and he said to his disciples temptations to sin are sure to come but woe to to those through whom they come it'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and you're cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins rebuke him and then here's a big one if he repents forgive him so that's a big deal um, whenever you're confronting sin as well is that the idea the goal is to confront sin in order that someone may be reconciled to God because sin separates us from God. So reconcile both to God and to others, obviously, um, because sin separates. If your friend is not a believer, the Bible actually talks about how this is kind of a tricky thing um, to confront someone in sin because their basis for truth and the way they live is not the same as you. And so we really don't have, that's not really our job. That sounds, I know it sounds kind of weird, but that's, that's how the Bible describes it. So that's what I was saying. Anything uh, you guys would add on to that? The, the one small thing that I would add is, so if, if any of you have um, any history at all in, in, the, in the church, um, you might actually hear people say, so there's a sin that has existed and uh, you're trying to figure out how to go to your friend and you're so afraid of gossiping, which would be a bad thing to do, by the way. Um, And man, I've got to only go to them. I do not, I think the Matthew 18 text is being misused a lot right now when it's trying to silence, and hear me on this, well-intended people who are seeking help to know how to confront. So, um, we, we live in this really weird confidential world, right? Where confidentiality is like the most important thing in the world. And it really isn't. Truth and, and love are more important, actually. Um, and so I've, I, I tell th- those that I work with that I trust Scott. And if Scott knows of a problem in my life, and Scott genuinely is seeking to help me with that, and Scott thinks it would be a good idea to talk to Drew and to Morgan about that, to come to me. I do not believe that Matthew 18 in any way, shape, or form prohibits him from getting good, wise counsel before he comes to me. Does that make sense? You might run into people I have over the years that I, I believe are so proud and maybe even so uh, rebellious in their own heart that as soon as they hear that Scott went to Drew and Morgan, instead of knowing his heart, I can't believe he didn't come to me first. Matthew 18 says, have you heard, do you know these people? You're not supposed to talk to anyone until you talk to me. Jesus actually doesn't say, you're not allowed to talk to anybody first. I think Jesus would go, well, no. He would be allowed to find wise counsel to get help. So be really careful 
Because um, I, I think especially this is such an important topic to be done well. Um, to seek wise counsel with the best, in, and you really got to watch your own heart on this. I like to evaluate yourself. But to seek wise counsel um, is, is, is not against the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 18. I think it lines up very well. And I would say in a situation like this, I would strongly recommend that you go to wise people so that it's not gossip, because I think that might be a little bit against the teachings of Matthew 18. But I see a lot of people who literally are trapped feel like Matthew 18 says they're not allowed to talk to anybody about this first. And therefore, I believe a lot of truth about sin doesn't get talked about. Um, Because, say, for example, Scott feels maybe intimidated by me, and he has to come to me first. Do you realize how, how that's not a healthy dynamic? So... I just I keep I keep seeing this over and over and over again, and it cons- it concerns me a little bit. Bullies who use Matthew eighteen to to stifle um, the conflict. So. That's good. That's really good. Uh, give us the next one, Jared. Okay, this one. How do I respond to Christians who do not believe what the Bible says about same sex marriage? And and so this is a good question because kind of in implied it is what Morgan said that. Um, it's not how do I confront Christians or how do I respond to Christians who do not agree with me about same-sex marriage, uh, but what the Bible says. And this is a big issue. The, the culture has already shifted. And so the question now is, is what about the church? How does the church hold to these things? And so, Scott, how, how would you respond to yeah. that? So this is a question. Well, this particular question, we actually haven't had this kind of focus. How do I, it, it, usually it's how do I understand yeah, what does the Bible say or, about? Or, or, or yeah. yeah, the GLBT community, or, you know, usually it's that. This is more LGBT community. Sorry, I didn't say it right. I hear critics over here. Um, it is, this one is dealing with more of a, another Christian who who maybe doesn't agree with what the Bible So it's kind of interesting how it's worded. Um, you know, this one is, this one's difficult because it all, it just depends on, where, how they're coming to you to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? So, like so much of this, is this a person who is wrestling with this and really wants to know, like, okay, what's the Bible say about this? Help me understand. Is it that kind of situation? Is it more of a, no, Christians get this wrong, and, and I know what the Bible says, but it can be proven wrong, and, and there's these other things that are happening. And, um, and so it just depends on that dynamic. But let's, let's say it's a person who who maybe doesn't know what the Bible says <clears throat> specifically. But I would say, I would start with, with this particular issue, I would start with how the Bible defines marriage as the first place to start. And, and, what, you'll, and what you'll see is you have to do a lot of deconstruction to get it to say anything other than teaching that, that husband and wife, male and female, is what is what God defines as marriage. You really do have to do a lot. Of, in fact, you you can't even. You have to you have to do it. You have to say, um, well, it, it just they just didn't have that example back then. That that wasn't an issue back then, and so therefore, that's why the Bible doesn't teach about it. And so it's more of like acceptance because of silence. Um, so I would start with a, a, a the biblical definition of marriage, which from Genesis one all the way all the way through. Um, consistently teaches that it's husband and wife. I would I would also start with um, this is a really good question to ask. 
how did Jesus understand marriage, and how did Jesus understand this issue? Um, and and you and so there's a guy named Preston Sprinkle who's done quite a bit of research and study on this topic, and he'd be a great one to learn because he's not just he's not just reading the Bible and then saying, well, that's what it says. So this we have to. He's doing a lot of um, uh, historical understanding study. He's 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 breaking down language. He's understanding these things, and he's saying, okay, so. You know, Jesus comes along, and what, what did rabbis believe about this issue? And this is what, across the board, they all believed about marriage, about um, homosexuality. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a pretty, big, pretty big thing. And so to understand it at, at that level, so if, if a person just saying, well, what does the Bible say about this? Then I think you can start with that and kind of work, 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 work your way out. There's... there's um, yeah, and then and then, if, but if it's more along the lines of why aren't Christians just getting on board with like where the culture is? Like, come on, you guys, you're, we're going to be left in the dust here. They're going to think we're archaic if we continue to believe things that aren't like socially accepted. Um, and I think that's honestly where things are heading. More and more and more, you're going to have friends and 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 even feel the temptation. We all feel this temptation, so. We've done the study, and we've concluded what we've concluded about this topic, and yet we still we 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 breathe the same air you breathe. We watch the same shows, maybe uh, that you watch. Um, um, maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. Um, and and so we're we're feeling the same pull and tug culturally that says, "Come on, guys, this is no, just no. Come on, let." So. I would say fundamentally what, what drives this, this conversation more, and we've talked about this a little bit I don't know if we've talked about it in a while what drives this conversation for people um, either they have a friend or family that that's, um, identifies themselves in the LGBT community or um, they just culturally going it's not fair what's driving that oftentimes is how they understand the highest human experience the greatest human thing that anybody can experience is Romance and a and a sexual int- intimate relationship with somebody. Everybody, and this is the culture saying, everybody deserves to have this. And so, if you if you deny it of somebody, then you're denying a basic, fundamental human right, and that's just not fair. That's where I think majority of it's coming from. So I would say the Bible doesn't teach that at all about the highest human experience. What the greatest thing that we can experience is an intimate relationship with God. And so everything else falls in proper place when that's kind of understood. And so um, so, so th- that, that question, I think, and, and where people are coming from, e- even Christians, well-meaning, full Christians who are trying to, um, they're trying to solve the tension that culture is telling them and that the Bible seems to be saying, and then they're saying, okay, but really, I mean, come on. You know, people sin all the time. Is this the one we really have to stand on? Can we can, can we just relax a little bit about this? And and I think you know the answer is no. We, wherever the Bible stands is where we need to continually stand. Um, but I don't know. Any other thoughts on how to answer that question? I mean, I, I always think my big question with that is just uh, when you when you disagree with what it says is it, I always want to know. Are you saying that you have a different interpretation of what it yeah. says? That you don't think yes. the Bible actually condemns yeah. same-sex marriage? 
or are yeah. you saying you disagree with it? Yeah. And because that's a big issue. That's a two, two different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Because if you have a different interpretation, I go, okay, I'd like to know how you got there. Yes. Um, in spite of, you know, thousands yep. of years of church history and and the actual, what, what most of the scholars are saying, yeah. how you came up with a different interpretation, and we can, like, talk through that. In, in, I mean, and I don't mean that, even the way I said that almost sounds like I'm, like dogging that person, but I just want to know what what led you to change your mind on this. Yeah. Um, but if you're just going, no, I just think the Bible's wrong. Yes. Then we've got a bigger issue, and I want I want to talk to you about like then what do you if you think it's wrong on this, then how do you hold to the other things, and what do you do with that stuff? Yeah. You know? Along with that first point is I have I have two papers, um, like two documents. They're both about thirty pages. One of them is how the Bible shows that same sex marriages is is okay. Like a same-sex, monogamous, Christ-centered marriage is, is something that God wants. And they use the Bible to, to show that. And I have another paper that shows that how anybody that, that identifies themselves with same-sex attraction, um, that they should re- remain or stay celibate. And, and so I say that not to, to throw confusion, but to help you see, like, you can make the Bible say really kind of what you want it to say. Um, but what, what Drew's point was, from Jesus' day through church history, it's been consistently understood how, with how the Bible defines marriage and how it doesn't. And and so you, you may find things online. In fact, you go online and, and you, you'll, you'll find articles, you'll find things where people can say, well, the Bible says this, but this is what's happening then, and so therefore we don't really think this is what's going on, so therefore it's it's okay. So you can, make, you can find things that... that coincide with what you want to believe um, yeah, I, think, I think that you guys know about YouTube he, he wasn't sure um, you there's, can, there's a lot on the YouTube <laughs> yeah. you can find lots of things to believe what you want to believe yeah. this, well, oh, you know, well uh, real quickly the other thing that I find very in, and helpful for me is I, I really seek consistency in thinking and consistency in ethics, so as, as Drew and Scott and Morgan have been calling to, is let's just go back and see what the scriptures present. And what I find very interesting is is that the scriptures present not just an ethic on one sexual issue, but a sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the sexual ethic is about self denial. Um, it's about submission. It's about right context and wrong con- sinful context. Um, so this is the this is what the Bible teaches, and so on any on almost any topic, but on this one here, what I have found when when I'm talking to another person who has a differing opinion, but maybe is still kind of lining up or trying to line up, Drew, like you described in a scriptural context, um, I love to talk about well, what do you what do you do with some of these other issues that are si- kind of related? And what you'll actually find is there's a lot being argued against, and this is one of many. So, what, well, what do you believe about just sex outside of marriage? What do you think about, and what you'll actually find in the, with, 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 with people who are wrestling with this is that they are being consistent in a greater latitude. And then to me, it hel- it's, it's helpful to see it's not just about homosexuality that we're wrestling with here. It's about a complete sexual ethic. And so a lot of stuff has been written recently. Preston Sprinkle does this. Christopher Ewan does this. Um, uh, good girl, gay or gay girl, good God um, does a good job of this. They look holistically at it, and and holistically at the scriptures to say it's not just 
everything we line up on and on this one tiny little thing we disagree. It's like, no, we disagree at the beginning Mm -hmm. in terms of God's design and God's purposes. Mm -hmm. And that's really helpful to see. Um, That particular question and everything surrounding it is always is usually pretty sensitive and tough because, as Scott said, usually people aren't wrestling with this as a theory or an idea, but as a relationship, somebody they know or themselves trying to figure this stuff out in them. And so um, I just want to kind of extend the invitation that, I mean, if you're you're trying to figure out what you think about that stuff, we would love to be able to talk to you, not not to try and argue you down or try to try to win some debate, but but because we, we believe that you are probably honestly trying to seek answers. We'd love to, to help you to seek those answers alongside of you and that stuff. So I just want to throw that out before we move on to the next one. But our next question is, um, are Catholics Christian? And what are the differences between Catholic beliefs and ours? We've had kind of a weird surge in, in this question. I don't know if it's because of the new Catholic church over there, um, or I don't know if it's because Father Brian O'Brien is so cool or what, but... Um, We've had a surge in, in interest in this in the last semester. And so I want to hand that over to you, Jim. How, how would you respond to that? Um, it's interesting. I, growing up in Canada, it's a very, especially where I grew up, my dad was in the military. So there were a lot of French-speaking uh, families where uh, wherever I lived. And that just brought with it a very strong Catholic influence. So in, in one of the military schools that I went to, um, they divided this up. They had a religion religion class, and there was probably about forty or so in our in our in our our grade, and there were two of us that were Protestant, <laughs> and then thirty eight Catholics, and all the prettiest ones were Catholic, and uh, I just remember going, oh, I wish I were Catholic, because uh, it's just you know me and Cindy, and she was nice and all. Don't get me wrong, we, were, we became very good friends during religion class, but. It was like, man, I wish I, I wish I had this opportunity to get to to meet all these other Catholic, all these other Catholic people. Um, so I kind of grew up in a very strong Catholic context. That question has always sounded weird to me. Are Catholics Christians, right? I don't know if did anybody else sound weird to you. Now, the one thing I will say is, is I grew up, you know, with 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 people saying, and I thought this, I thought this was strange when they would say it. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Catholic. They would say that, actually. Like, that's what Suzanne Thibault said. She would say to me, um, after, you know, after I'd find out, you know, because she's in the other class. And we would talk, and she's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Catholic. So I thought it was a little bit strange. I don't think she was making, first of all, she's in, like, the eighth grade. So she's not making some deep religious statement. She's really kind of giving a framework. And, and I run into that a lot. I run into that a lot. I also, moving to the Midwest in 1991, I've realized that there's a lot of people that almost throw that idea at Catholic people. They're not Christian, they're Catholic. And I, 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 I find that to be kind of very, very interesting. So again, we've been had a, had a theme of, uh, of Bible type stuff. So real quickly, Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And then it says, and are justified or made right. They are justified, declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption. So the the purchase, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom, uh, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which means Jesus Christ 
appeased God and uh, satisfied not only his righteousness, but appeased his anger against those that are rebelling against him, which is everybody, um, to be received by faith. So basically, that's like a real great nutshell. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse, um, uh, I would always go back to the verse, to verse 21, 323 is the one that we know. And it basically says that God, that, that Christians are those people, or, or Christians are those people who essentially are um, saved by grace through faith. And anybody who does that, whether they're Baptist, Church of Christ, or Catholic, is in fact, I would say, a Christian. Does that make sense? So that's the, the, the Bible gives us the definition of a Christian, which would be a Christ follower. And that's somebody who has received him by faith. Um, yesterday I had a great three-hour lunch with a, with a Catholic friend of mine. And we spent a bunch of time talking about, um, this might be, you, you might find this interesting, you might not, the, what is known as the Assumption of Mary. You guys know this doctrine? Okay, the assumption of Mary, and so we were we're talking about it, and we, then we got debating about the issue of whether or not Catholic doctrine has changed, and so we had this very very lively conversation between me and my my friend Ed. Um, I, I would say without going into all of the very specifics, okay. So I, it seems like this question is kind of presenting: Are Catholics trying to find a different means of salvation? Is that right? Yes, yeah. Okay. Is there is there like a Protestant way of getting saved and a Catholic way of getting saved and the Catholics are wrong? Okay. And by the way, that is that is true among people who are um, uh, say and this these words are so loaded nowadays, but like that have more of a cult following and by that I don't mean like popularity, but I mean they don't follow the traditional Christian doctrines, okay? Mormonism, uh, Jehovah's Witness, uh, there are other ways in which they understand who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ did that's not biblical, that's in fact heretical. Um, the Catholic Church does not fall in that camp. We may disagree about a lot of things. We may disagree about whether or not Ed was telling me, and he kind of assumed that we all know that Mary intercedes on our behalf. And I kind of wanted to go, I, I don't know if we all agree on that one. <laughs> um, but... There's a lot within Catholic doctrine that really lines up in terms of who Jesus Christ is, his divinity, what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Um, Ed and I have had a really fun, 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 lively conversation, and I love reminding him of how much we have in common. And there's a tremendous amount that we actually have in common. And so uh, I would say that the, the kind of the overarching idea is that, A, we go back to the scriptures, and the fact that even Ed and I had that debate, do you go back to the scriptures or do you go back to the scriptures and how the church treats it, teaches the scriptures? And I would say, and my, my answer to Ed was, well, when the church gets it right, I love it. And when the church gets it wrong, I still go to the scripture. Um, the Catholics on matters of who Jesus Christ is, on how salvation works, I believe have a biblical understanding of that. So I really don't, I don't wrestle with this. I'm not, I, I, I texted Ed, actually, the debate continued on the assumption of Mary and whether or not the sepulcher in the Kidron Valley does in fact have her body in it was our conversation today. And I referred to Ed at the very end. I said, hey, I, I really loved our conversations and I thank you for your partnership in the gospel because Ed is a Jesus follower and loves Jesus and pursues him. 
And so um, I, I'm not. I'm not just. I don't just say that glibly. I don't just say, "Oh yeah, every everybody who's a nice person is a follower of Jesus." No, they're not. But Ed is. Ed is. And so that's kind of where I would I would line up. And I would also say it's really really good to get to know the individual and ask how they understand salvation. Um, I don't. And I. By the way, I would say that even to people at Sunnybrook. <laughs> you, right. If, if some of you guys go to Sunnybrook. Okay. Don't I usually say when I'm preaching, like, I don't assume that all of you that are listening to me are, in fact, Christ followers, right? And I'm not trying to cast doubt on anything. I'm just trying to say that, to, that how, but those who are have followed Romans 3. Um, can we add something and then ask you? I'm going to ask you one other thing on it. But, okay. Um, uh, first of all, I, I would say to answer the second question, what is the big difference? The biggest difference between uh, what we believe in the Catholic church is Jim hit on it. What is our highest authority for truth? Yeah. And we would say the scriptures and they would say the church and not that they downplay <laughs> the scriptures. They would just say, well, mm-hmm. how do you understand the scriptures? Mm-hmm. You got to go, you got to listen to what the church says. You got to listen to the church councils. You got to listen to the Pope. You got to listen to and so in that way, the church always kind of that is the highest grounds of authority. And that's where all the extra stuff that comes in. Um, I don't even think they would argue this. Um, no. Mary interceding on our behalf that you pray to Mary yeah. um, or that you have to go confess to a priest or, you know, all these these other things that go in there are church doctrines. There are, are things that have been added into the scripture. And so all those little things are, are a result of that really big thing. I would also say this. Um, it is possible to be a follower of Jesus as a Catholic, just like it's possible to be a Baptist and be a follower of Jesus. But in the no. same way, but in the same way, I mean, I, here's what I'm saying, like in the same way that you can be, like you just said, you can be Baptist or Methodist or non-denominational and not an actual follower of Jesus like you can the Catholic Church. Here's the difference. I believe that because of all the church man-made kind of doctrines put on, it is a lot easier to get uh, swallowed up in the confusion of that. It is a lot easier. Now, I'm not saying everyone is, I'm not, but it is easier to get your eyes fixed on the extra traditions. And I might not be following Jesus, but I did confess to a priest this week, so I'm good, I think. That kind of stuff. Um, let me ask you this. Could you, uh, would you let like a son date a Catholic, or could, could you see that like working? I just asked you that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, this, is hap- this is actually a question I've had from someone in this room in the last three weeks. Let's, let's play I, a little game. Should I date? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and let me just say this. Like, my hesitation isn't because I'm afraid to say no, but my answer is no. I'm really thinking through it. Um, I, I would say this. I would say that there are a number of denominations that, because of how they treat the authority of the scriptures, I would begin to have some questions with. So it's not even just Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say, yeah, like those that hold to... Um, and this would concern me. Uh, I, I would have some. I would have some caution, and not because I think. I would even say this: not because I think that they're not a believer, right? But there is going to be a fundamentally different way to live. So there is the unequally yoked, right? Where it's Jim and his my new wife, right? Because something terrible happened to Andrea. Because I'm never leaving her. Um, so. Well, and she's traveling, so you never know if that's going to happen. So, Andrea, something happens to her, and I'm going to marry somebody else. The, here's the problem. The problem is, is that not that my, my new wife who's cat or my new girlfriend who's Catholic, it's not that 
I, I want her to take her faith seriously. So she's now going to take her Catholicism seriously. Um, uh, so I can't take communion in her church. She can't come to my church. Like if you, I, so I want serious religious people, right, or serious Jesus followers. So this relationship's not just gonna, it's not going to work. Does that make sense? So it's it's not quite an unequally yoked, okay? Because I think we're headed in the same direction. But wow, that's going to definitely put us on two different paths. And so I would say there's enough of a difference that would cause me to be concerned that's good. Yeah. about it. But not because not because I think they're not saved, but because it would be a complicated marriage, complicated marriage. raising kids. All oh, that yeah. Stuff. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Next question. How should a Christian view or use alcohol? How should a Christian approach alcohol? Um Here's an interesting one. You may have noticed on the poll, and we thought this would be kind of fun to just experiment with and see. You may have noticed on the poll that this is actually one of the lowest voted ones. Um, this is like next to the bottom as far as interest in this. And I find that I find that fascinating because 12 years ago when I started campus ministry, this would have probably been towards the top. This is one that everyone was wrestling with. Now, like, nobody's wrestling with that. It's like, that's like asking, can a Christian drink iced tea? Like, what, why, would, why would he even have to worry about that or wonder about that? That's um, just where we're at. It, it's a thing where today that question has already been answered, and it's great. Um, no, no big deal. The, what's kind of interesting, though, is also Scott and I and Rachel and I have talked to that. Um, we, have, we have dealt with more alcohol-related problems in our ministry in the last two or three years than, like, ever before. And so it's, it's one that probably does need to be thought through more. Um, so let me say this. Here's, here's where it's been healthy and good. Back, back when I was growing up, it was easy a lot of times, at least in my part of the world, to define Christianity by the things that you avoided. And, and that's, I'm not, that's a generic statement. That's a general statement. But sometimes it was easy to define Christianity by this is, this is how I'm a good Christian. I don't cuss and I don't go to rated R movies and I, I don't listen to secular music and alcohol is definitely on there. And, and it really was, at, like I said, in the Bible Belt in Muskogee, Oklahoma, when I was a kid, like it was kind of shocking to find a beer in a Christian's fridge. And, and I would, as a kid, I'd be like, I thought they were saved. I thought they loved the Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, like that really did, like, I, I, that wrecked me a little bit, you know? And, and what happened was that there were, we took, I think a lot of people took something like alcohol, which needs to have some wisdom to do with it, and they made it a big kind of in or out issue. And they made it something like this marks you whether you're a good Christian or not, those kinds of things. Um, we have since been able to kind of move past that and go, wait, what does the Bible actually say about this? And go, actually, the, the Bible doesn't condemn alcohol. It doesn't condemn drinking. It's not... And, and so we've been able to kind of move past what, what may have been sort of a legalism, which is really good. Here's, here's the problem, is we only ever asked one question about it. And, and the one question we only ever asked was, is it wrong? Oh, it's not? Okay, then we should all do it. We can do it. That's, that's as simple as it gets. Um, but the truth is, when it comes to alcohol and any other behavior or issue that you're wrestling with, what you're going to be involved with, you actually always need to be asking three questions and not just one. And the first is this, is it wrong? Or the better question is like, what does the Bible say about it? All right, so when it comes to alcohol, the Bible doesn't speak against drinking. Um, it, it speaks about wine as a gift from God, a good thing, those kinds of stuff. Um, so it doesn't speak against it. It does, however, in places like 
Ephesians 4. It says, do not be drunk on wine. It does in the Proverbs. It does um, several lists that Paul gives, lists drunkenness, drinking too much as wrong. So any drinking in which I lose self-control of my body, which was designed for the good of God's kingdom and for those around me, I can't control that when I'm drunk. I can't control those things. So any drinking that brings me to drunkenness is um, spoken of as wrong in the scriptures. Uh, any drinking in which I am underage and therefore breaking the law of the authority that God has placed over me through the government here is wrong, and I shouldn't do that. And so those things, any time I'm buying alcohol for someone who is not of age and drinking with them is wrong, and the Bible says I should not do that. Um, but, but beyond that, when you're 21 and you're drinking in moderation, the, the Bible doesn't speak against that. So, um, so that's the first question. But the second question that, that people never get to a lot of times is not just, is this okay or is this bad, but is this wise? Um, so like in light of my past, in light of uh, whether or not I've struggled with this before, in light of in my family history, is alcoholism an issue? Um, in light of the fact, is, is alcohol tied to other sinful behavior in my life that I don't want to be a part of anymore? Or am I trying, or am I with my, uh, with a girl that I'm dating, just me and her, are we going to be drinking? Is that a wise thing to do? So whether it's okay or not, I have to ask this question, is this actually wise for me to do? In light of my past, in light of what's going on right now, and in light of the future I kind of want, should I be doing this in this situation? And, and then the third question is, um, how does this affect the kingdom? And that's a question that I think just we, we never even pause to consider a lot of times. But how does this affect the kingdom? If, if someone sees me drinking, what impact will that have on them? Um, in a college town where drinking is often just kind of associated with drunkenness, and someone sees, are they just going to assume that I'm drinking for the sake of partying, for the sake of drunkenness? And what kind of witness does that give to them? Or am I drinking with a friend who might be um, of age but has struggled with this stuff in the past? And am I possibly leading my friend back into sin? Um, so how am I affecting the church by the things I'm doing this? How am I affecting unbelievers? What, what, what is the uh, um, picture I'm giving of Christ and his church by doing this thing? And, and so I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying I, I hope that if you choose to drink or not to drink, it is because you've asked all three of those questions and that you've walked through that and that you've thoughtfully considered. And, and this isn't just alcohol, this is a lot of things, but that you've thought through not just, um, am, I, am I strong enough for this? Do I want to do this? Am I, do I enjoy this? Am I wise? You know, but how am I affecting the kingdom? How am I affecting my brothers and sisters around me? And how, how might I might be affecting lost people around me that I'm trying to reach? I think all three of those need to be asked in this and in so many other situations in life. Anything you guys would, would add, tack on to that? I come from a family. Um, my mom is from seven children. My dad is from ten. So you remove them. That's about 30 aunts and uncles. Of them, 28 are alcoholics. So I don't know how many cousins I have, 50, 60, 70. I don't know of one who is not. Don't know of one who is not. So alcohol is not a real problem with my family. My mom and dad came to Christ, and neither of them have struggled with it. And there's six of us, and none of us have struggled with it. And yet it wasn't like alcohol was like this terrible thing. There was something that but was fundamentally different. And so just by that experience, by the way, and that's just my experience. I'm just stating a fact, right? 
I find it just fascinating that Jesus does make a difference in families. And not because my dad and mom said alcohol is a terrible thing and we shouldn't do it, but my dad and mom really taught us to find satisfaction in Christ and not in other things. So there's so much in there. The, the part that really aches my heart, and I'm not, in this sense, I'm not like a Midwesterner, so to speak, okay? And going back to what Drew said, this used to be a question, it's no longer a question. But I am consistently dealing with this problem in marriages, like almost 100% of them. And I'm consistently dealing with this. So sadly, we're no longer asking the question because we have decided to pretend, hey, listen, like I got this under control. My dad's rule about drinking was this. Nobody should drink before they're 40 and everybody should have a little after they're 40. (laughs) That was my dad's rule. Anybody who drinks before they're 40 is a fool. Anybody who doesn't drink after they're 40 is probably also a fool. (laughs) That's what my dad said. And what, what you understand what he's saying? Like a tremendous amount of wisdom is necessary. And that's what I think is lost. I really do. And um, that's what concerns me, particularly about Christian people, is they just don't know what they're messing with. And, and uh, the, other, the other thing that we've talked about a little bit is, is our ability to deceive ourselves is oh, yeah. unbelievable. And, and, and in five years and ten years, you can look back on this time and go, yeah, I thought I could handle more than I could. I thought I could do more than I really should have. I, I really didn't. I didn't know I was deceiving myself, but I really was. I mean, you, you just will, and 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 that's it's kind of shock. I was. I had a conversation in here with with two other men, uh, grown men, and and we were just helping this guy who's wrestling with something, and 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 then it came out kind of what he's wrestling with and how he'd been deceiving himself, and we all just sat there and. We're in awe, and all three of us can think back to times where we just thought, I was such an idiot. I thought I, I just, I thought I was more mature than I really was, or I thought I could handle more than I really was. And, and so that's where the wisdom piece comes in, and, and having people around you to say, yeah, I don't know if you are ready for that. So, it's good. All right, um, let's take like a three-minute break. We'll yeah. do that. Three-minute break, and... I love it. All right. If you hadn't, I would have loved it. We're going to uh, we're going to jump in. I want to have us answer one more of kind of the ones that we voted on, and maybe we'll get to some of the others. But after this, we'll we'll open it up to to uh, questions if you you have, and let you just kind of ask. Uh, but here's another one that we hear specifically from college students who maybe grew up in a in a quote-unquote Christian family or going to church, and then they kind of, as they uh, move on and uh, begin to grow in their faith, they look back and they start to wonder about friends or family members. It says this, I'm starting to think that my family member or friend might not be a Christian. Uh, how, how can I even know that? Like, how, how do you know if someone you love is or isn't, if that's something that you need to talk to them about? Um, Jim, I know this is actually a question that you've worked through a lot with, with college students and others, so... I, how do, you, uh, how do you respond to that? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see that you are in the faith. And then he seems to assume that that is going to be followed up with a yes. Like he seems to be saying, Hey, listen, you're going to see the Spirit at work in your life, and you're going to see. So it's not a, hey, you need to examine yourself because I don't think you are. That's not really the, the position that he's taking. Um, 
But it's interesting how that idea of being a follower of Jesus Christ is actually something that you can look for evidence of, and then you can begin to see it, and there can be a confirmation. Um, Almost consistently in the Bible, it's actually the Holy Spirit living in you. That's Romans 8, right? That's Galatians 5. How do you know that God is working in you? Well, you have the Spirit. And so that keeps being a huge part of it, um, which I know is, is a, can, can be a complicated thing because we can easily be duped into believing that the Spirit looks like my sister-in-law who is really, really nice. And it's so much more than that. I shared, I think I, think I shared maybe on a Sunday, um, when we were in Israel recently, uh, Uri, remember Uri? Okay, got to spend some time with his girlfriend. Uh, she's a Canadian, so we have a lot in common. Grew up, grew up not that far from each other. We're the same age. It was really kind of almost uncanny. She grew up just probably about twenty minutes away from me um, when we were when we were uh, in uh, kind of middle school, and so we thought that was kind of interesting. And we talked. And when you go up onto the Temple Mount, sometimes they'll ask you a question like, "What's your religious uh, affiliation?" I guess. And she she said she's a Christian. And Uri said, "Hey, she said she's a Christian, Jim. What do you think?" Like somehow I'm like, you know, going to give the answer. And I said, I mean, that's not my job. I'm not trying to give the answer. So I just asked her, why do you think you're a Christian? And she said to me, well, because I like I try to treat people the way that I think I would want to be treated. Right. That's a Jesus idea. Um, So she just described a few very generic Jesus ideas. And she said, I follow those. And uh, I, I grew up in Canada. I'm like, okay, well, the second one almost disqualifies you, but uh, it's, it's really kind of interesting. She said, I, I think I am. Um, never really, I went to church when, when I was little. My mom actually went quite a bit because my mom and dad got divorced. She, so she told this larger story, and then I asked her, I said, would you ever say that there's this, um, or, or would you ever say about yourself, I think I might be Muslim because I'm really, really nice and kind, because... I had a Muslim that lived with me, and he was a really, really nice guy. And he treated me like he would want to be treated. And he was just, like, super kind, and he loved to buy me things. He actually bought me a keychain, and um, and I like to buy people things, so I think I might be a Muslim. And I was sharing this with her, and she said, well, no. And I said, well, why is it different? So to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? So here's the part that really concerns me when this question comes up is that you've never really asked somebody that question. Mm-hmm. Like you've never even really, like you're assuming that you're whatever, mom, dad, brother, sister, husband, wife, whatever, you're assuming that they're a Christian probably for a lot of the same reasons that this lady thought she might be a Christian because um, I grew up in America and my parents went to church. I kind of went for a little bit when I was a kid. And so I think I might be a Christian. Right, because I, I'm not a I'm not a Muslim. I know that I'm not a Hindu. I'm not a I'm not a Buddhist. So I, I probably am a Christian by default. Right, that's kind of how we look at things. Like that's not you don't default your way into being a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm not trying to be necessarily exclusive with it. So I I love to ask that question: Do you recognize Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah and the King of a kingdom that is being established in the world? Um, do you swear allegiance to him and desire to follow him so that your life becomes a mirror image of his so that the world might know that God is God and that we are his and that is your life. And I I try to use terms like that and it's hilarious 
sadly hilarious. When I describe that, they're like, oh, that's what it means to be a Christian? Yeah, I'm not one of those. I, I get that a lot, actually. Like, what did you think it was? I don't know. Like, my parents took me to a Baptist church when I was five for almost two years. Okay, yeah, that's, but that's just not the definition. And so the more that I begin to talk, and you can use the gospel as the, the paradigm, and you just ask, is that, like, who you are and what you're doing? And I just let people answer the question. Does that make sense? That's how the, that's how the church has always roughly seen it. And I don't understand how we lost I really don't. I don't understand how we lost it. It's the problem of, of when all of a sudden it becomes an enculturated issue, but people have never actually gone through the messy work of doing the long division, doing the kind of working out the problem. They just, they, they went to the back of the book, they found the answer, and they put it at the bottom, and they've not done their work. So you kind of look at it, and it's this complicated equation, and they just have the answer. You're like, you cheated. You didn't work that out. You just cheated, Right? And I feel like a lot of people do that with 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 Christian, and that's just not doesn't seem to be an option. Um, here's here's one I got texted in. That I think I can probably answer fairly quickly. Um, it says, do you think it's okay for someone to have sex before marriage with someone they think they're going to be with forever? In other words, like we're we are really serious, we're engaged, and they say I'm I'm asking this so that I can know how to respond when this is brought up to me. Um, and my answer would be my answer to that was gonna just blow your mind, gonna completely surprise you, but no, I don't think that you can. Um, and and I would give I would say for three reasons. Uh, the first is because I've known way too many people who thought they were going to be together forever and were actually engaged and actually had a wedding date and a dress and gifts and all that stuff and broke it off. Um, so many people, my roommate in college, my brother, one of my best friends, all these people who who just knew this was the one and broke it off. And so just practically, um, it's odds are low that every person you think you're going to be with forever, that you're going to end up with it forever. Um, second, I think of 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about if a man is betrothed to a woman and, and he's with her and he feels like he might be acting dishonorably towards her, like he has these kind of passions, Paul doesn't say, hey, it's okay, you're betrothed. He says, actually, this is such a serious thing that you ought to go ahead and marry that person before you move any further in, in any dishonorable way. Now, he's not advising foolish marriage, just jumping into marriage. But he's talking about someone you're engaged to and you know, okay, I'm going to be with... He says, so engaged, someone you know you're going to be with. He says, even then, you don't sleep with that person until you're actually married with them. And the third thing I would say is, uh, biblically and historically, there has never really been anything... There's never been the category partially married or almost married. There is... There is only two categories that you are in in a relationship. You are married or you are unmarried. And there's not a, well, mostly married so we can do most of the stuff that married couples do. Um, No, biblically, until until the point that that person is, you marry that person, you are not married to them, and therefore you don't do the things that married couples do together. They are your brother in Christ. They are your sister in Christ only until that point. And so um, for that reason, I I would say no on that. Um, let me give this one. How can the church do a better job of honoring singleness and or single individuals and their unique abilities to advance the kingdom? Um, this is something that the church has wrestled with a lot over the last several years. How do, we, how do we make sure that we don't just focus on married couples with kids and those kinds of things? 
And and this is something that I think Sunnybrook has been doing better at in the last few years. It's something we've worked through. Something that actually you've been kind of a part of this 2030 ministry that's been geared towards that. Um, so would you mind talking a little bit about like what Sunnybrook has done and even your your perspective as a single person, Morgan? Sure. So Sunnybrook has done a... Actually, I remember being a college student and coming home and hearing they were... There was a sermon series being preached at Sunnybrook entitled The Orange Series. And every week, it was like the first week, I think it was like marriage. The second week was like parents to children. The third week was like another marriage one, maybe. This is what it felt like as a single person. I'm sure this wasn't what what it was, but this is what it I think the fourth one was like marriage again, and the fifth one maybe was marriage. And that's what it felt like. And, uh, and uh, I just remember being so mad and, and telling my mom, and actually me and my older brother, we're both, we're both frustrated, and we were just, this is stupid. First of all, we were very selfish, and it was, this is stupid. This is like not, like, this is not speak to, to everybody, and this is not everybody, and this makes it seem like you can't disciple if you're, because this model of discipleship that we hold to at Sunnybrook. This makes it seem like you can't disciple people if you're not married and you're not a part of family. And this is da da da. Um, and I, my mom, I remember my mom's having a long conversation with me and my brother, and correcting us and steering us and challenging our thoughts and uh, about our responsibility to disciple within the body of Christ and to that we are a member of Christ's body and His church and we are there to edify the body and we are there to disciple and we are there to come alongside. Um, parents and students and other believers who are not from biblical families or to be another voice for those who are, do have like Christian families. And so I just remember her challenging that in a big way um, after she told us that we were selfish and it wasn't all about us because that's just a refrain in our family. But um, I remember that specifically. And then I think, I think sometimes, sometimes things that you feel as a single person it can just it can feel like just loneliness and loneliness can just feel painful or you can feel unwantedness you can feel like there's just some painful things to feel and so sometimes the feelings that you have you project on a group of people um when that's not at all the intention um and so I just think that that's you got to be careful about that uh to again like Go back to the Word of God, and what is where does the Word of God put value and worth? Um, where does the Word of God describe what makes a believer and not a believer? Um, how does the Word of God describe the body of Christ? He doesn't see it's not just definitely doesn't describe it as just a bunch of married people with children of a certain age. Uh, that's just not how the body's described. And so, um, I would go there first if like it's just this inner frustration or struggle, um, and then. And then I would say at Sunnybrook, one of the things that we've done that has just been helpful is that we started this 2030 ministry. And I believe this. I believe community is a well. I heard that I did not come. Someone else came with this phrase, but a well that you dig yourself. So um, community is not. And this is tricky. And I bet actually a lot of you guys know this because you're sticking with it and you're still a part of this community here after these months community is not I go to something one time and it doesn't meet my needs and I'm not best friends with them and we don't have a strong relationship so therefore um screw them that's not what community is um community is something that you have to invest in that you have to spend time with people um it's not going to be something that just occurs over meeting up for coffee it's just not 
you, you might meet up for coffee 30 times and then all of a sudden someone has an awful day and they ask if they can come over to your house and you're talking to them and they're bawling their eyes out because they found out this their mom has cancer or they found out their parents are splitting up or something. And there's all of a sudden we have a different connection than we did. And so as a single person, what I would challenge you with is to, to dig the wells yourself, which means... Um, for married couples, what I would challenge them to do is not just become strictly inward focused. Like, um, I'm just going to go home after work and I'm going to just invest in my family. Well, that's not a picture of the body of Christ either. Um, I do think it's important to do that. I just think that there is, it seems to be an overlapping whenever it talks about the community um, in the body. And so that's what I would challenge you to do. Um, I have found, like, a my closest, I have really close friends to the 2030 ministry at Sunnybrook. Um, but I also have really close friends who are married, like Rachel, <laughs> you know, or Drew and Amy, or Jim and, you know, like, these are... She looked right past us. I know. I love these people, but... I love these people. But, um, I, so I would just challenge, That's that, those are some things I would challenge, um, I guess, your thinking and then is to dig the well yourself. And then also just to be aware of that as you grow. Uh, several people in this room might think they're not going to be married and they might find themselves married. So don't become, just never become the person where um, the body has to market to my stage of life. Just never be that person, you know, because then you're going to be the young married couple that comes to a 2030 event and goes, I don't know if this is really made for like young married couples. And then you're going to be the married couple who has a young child and be like, well, I don't really know if this church is for, like, the married couple with young children. Okay, like, who are you? Like, this is not a, this is not like you're shopping for, for your buddies. This is like you're becoming, you're joining the body of Christ, you know? And so I would, that's what I would challenge. I think my answer and perspective on that has probably changed pretty drastically in five years, in the five years I've been here, almost six years I've been here. Um, because, and I don't know if part of this is just growing, I, I would hope it's growing to be more like Jesus mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and not just getting older. I mean, that's what I would hope, but I, I just feel more content the more invested and connected I am to the body of Christ. That's how I feel. So that's what I would just challenge you to do. Scott, in two minutes or less, so if unmarried sex is not okay, how about living together before marriage? still not okay <laughs> because I don't know any I don't know any couple that would be able to handle that first of all and so yeah it's going to lead somewhere and, and intimacy only grows the more time you spend with somebody so um, obviously it's not a good thing but well maybe it's not obvious let me just say it's not a good idea it's it's not a good thing it doesn't there's no such thing as a test driving the relationship um it, playing house. Yeah, that doesn't work. Well, let's let's just see how this works, and let's see if if living together, maybe if we're compatible, let's just kind of check this out. That um, you, there's actually some statistics. I don't have it. I don't have it on me, um, but I remember a friend of mine coming to me saying, "No, I think this is a good thing." And we went and we kind of looked up. Just here's the stats on it. Actually, <laughs> the people who live together have a greater chance of before marriage. Um, have a greater chance of, of divorce like the numbers are, are, are crazy but mm-hmm. but regardless I mean as a follower of Jesus it doesn't it doesn't make sense it's not wise it doesn't lead towards any it doesn't lead towards you having a more healthy um, relationship where you're self-denial and you're putting Christ first mm-hmm. so and I would just can I add something yeah, to that yeah, I think too um, 
like when it comes to just relationship in, in general, um, it's what, what you, one of the things that you said made me think of a book I read. That's a really, that's just a good resource. It's called, it's called too close too soon. Um, and it talks about that idea about the amount of time you spend alone with someone and how that can kind of skyrocket a relationship, which is, I think sometimes can be, I don't know if it's more tempting now or, or it seems like our culture is even more individualized now than it used to be. So you have your own private personal phone, you have your own, you could spend, you could be like, like we're not even dating. We're just kind of talking. That's, I guess the new terminology, but, but we're talking like consistently throughout our entire days, you know, and that's just more of a connection than it used to be. Um, when people first started to like get, getting to know one another, um, and then in that book, one of the things I think it, that it talks about that I think is really interesting, when I was in college, I got to do a paper on that on that statistic of cohabitation before marriage and then what the stats were. Um, and it in the book, it talks about guys' way of thinking and girls' way of thinking when it comes to like the progression of a relationship and how girls as these really emotional, primarily emotional people and guys as, prim- as like just very physical people and um, not not saying like those are generic things to say, but oftentimes a girl is, is emotionally connected with someone before she is physical with them. And a guy can be physically connected with people without being emotionally connected. And so the girl feels gypped. Uh, Like a lot of times what you find in like a cohabitation situation is the girl feels like, wow, a guy wants to live with me because he wants to take our relationship to a further level. And a guy is thinking, no, I want to live with you and we'll see if this is actually worth anything or is actually worth. So in his mind, it's like a test and the girl's mind, it's a progression. And so the girl, if it doesn't work, feels, feels like you just broke her heart. You know I mean? You just like made her promises that that um, that you did not fulfill, and as a guy, you feel like she's holding you to promises that you did not make, and so it's just like this way of thinking that is just very flip flopped sometimes, and so that's another. That's that's just random. That's, that's just good. something I well, learned. Well, and here's here's so. the. Let me just kind of get you a little bit down the road, less than two less than a minute, uh, two minutes. <laughs> Ish. No, but I mean, because here's what I see all the time, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a recent example. When love equals physical sex, yeah. and, and therefore love becomes the permission for sex, okay? By the way, that's not even actually in the world. That's in, but in the Christian world, it seems to be. We, we, we love each other. So it wasn't, it wasn't bad, wrong sex. We, we, we loved each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they give themselves a little bit of, a, of, of permission or we're engaged. And so there's permission. And so um, a few years ago, I had a situation where a, a relatively good Christian guy and his Christian wife, um, he left her for somebody else because the sex was better. And she was devastated because they had kids and, and she was just really just torn up about this. Um, and I knew their situation. I knew, I knew their situation. They had gotten actually married because she had gotten pregnant and this, this big, long thing. And she's in my office, which is always an interesting time. And she's in my office. And as we're having this conversation, I said to her, well, don't worry. Um, he loves the person he's having sex with. And she went, well, that doesn't matter. I'm like, well, no, actually, it does matter. Like, that's kind of how we see some things. And until we have a different way of looking at it, like Drew was describing, that the Word of God is going to, to, to put it, because she, in her mindset, still had a little bit of a, you know what, we loved each other, and that's why it was okay why we did it. 
And he just took that same concept and took it into marriage. Okay? So this isn't like, I, I mean, I know it's adultery and I kind of feel bad about it, but the good news is I love her. And now all of a sudden, that same mindset carries into, and it's really about, you've talked about it, you've talked about it, it's about self-control. And so when love becomes the trigger for a physical relationship, and that's why, that's why you and your boyfriend or the you and your girlfriend, that was the trigger, don't be surprised that that becomes the trigger when you're married. Because that's what you do. You get physical with the people you love. That's the trigger. And I see it happen time and time and time again. When, when there is some kind of infidelity in a marriage, I ask this question, were you, were you permissible with sexual activity before you got married? And it's about 100, it's, I think it's 100%. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then this is what happens. It's just, it's kind of changed. You knew it was wrong back then and you did it. You know it's wrong now, but you do it. But why, why do you somehow in your mind make it permissible? Because the one prerequisite for this in, the, in, the, in a Christian context is love. And therefore, I met it. And I have seen it come back and bite people. And this, actually that whole marriage that went to pot is actually now back together. It's kind of a cool story. But I tried to help them understand that the, the, the prerequisite is God's design, not how you're feeling in a moment. That's how God has designed us to be to be wired. It's good. It's good. Uh, what do you think, man? You need wrap? Or? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we will. We'll wrap up tonight. Uh, even though there's a couple more questions. Sorry if we didn't get to you. Um, if you got questions, I, these guys may be maybe jetting or whatever. But if if you got questions, you want to come ask. Um, somebody will be up here and around and would love to would love to answer some of those questions for you. Um, I think that's all we got was there. One, one, one announcement, uh, zoo trip on Saturday the 13th. Next Saturday. Not, not this coming Saturday, but the next Saturday. So meeting here at what time? Meeting at Sunnybrook at what time? 9.15. If you want to go to the zoo and have Professor Ben... Uh, teach us lots of things. Uh, he loves that, by the way. He also loves to be carried around. Uh, anyway, that's another story. So, that's on the 13th. Let us know. Let uh, let somebody know you're interested on the group me or on Facebook. And that's it. Uh, you want to pray? Yep, let me pray. God, I thank you for your word, and uh, and I thank you for the chance to come hear your people teach it to us. Um, and I uh, pray this even as even as we're talking. I'm thinking about this this idea that if our hearts are not ready to hear these things, then it's not going to change. And so, Lord, let your Spirit uh, do the work of not just showing us your word, but conforming our hearts and minds to your word. I ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.